what you're about to hear was broadcast on Planet Philadelphia, May 1st, on 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and GTownRadio.com. We have Kathy Hipple with us today. She's a financial analyst with the Institute for Energy economics and financial analysis so hi kathy thank you so much for talking with linda and myself today thank you for having me i look forward to discussing on your radio show great um okay so linda did you want to say something yeah what is ieefa and what does it do okay so The Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis is a think tank um, headquartered in Cleveland, but we have financial analysts and energy analysts all over the world. And we publish reports. Um, We leave the environmental analysis up to very capable people, but we focus on the finances and economics of the oil and gas sector, for example. And we are primarily focused on the energy transition to a productive, vibrant future. And so in service of really analyzing an energy transition that is underway, we look at, for example, um, the evolution of coal in the United States and how it used to make up 50% of the energy, the electricity grid in the United States is now under 25%. But increasingly, our focus has been on oil and gas as energy sources in the United States and watching renewables displace coal and increasingly take a bigger share of the energy matrix around the world. You wrote a briefing, and that was bankruptcies in the fracking sector mount in 2019. There's been all kinds of turmoil in the fracking industry. I was wondering if you could tell us what the state of the fracking industry is right now. At IEFA, we have been following the fracking industry, the oil and gas industry, and compiled a lot of data that goes back for about 10 years about as long as fracking as a technological revolution, if you will, has launched in the United States. It's really been led in the United States. And hydraulic fracturing, for people who don't know, is really two different components. One are these very long horizontal wells that can go on for miles. And the other is that they pump water and other stuff under this previous into rock called shale formations. So there are really a few basins in the United States and then there are also other opportunities for oil and gas drillers and producers around the world. But the ones in the United States, probably your listeners are most interested in learning about the Permian Basin where they primarily frack for oil And then here in Pennsylvania, where many of your listeners will be more familiar, they primarily frack for natural gas. And those basins are called the Marcellus and the Utica shale basins. So it's not that there isn't 
fracking going on around the world. But we think of this as something that has been led by development in the United States. And in looking at the fracking sector, also sometimes called shale producers, they're also sometimes called ENP, exploration and production companies. And they're looking for oil and gas in this very dense rock. And when we look at this, we see a huge contrast, which is that there's been a production boom, that the United States has become the largest producer of oil and the largest producer of natural gas. And these large production gains have been led by fracking. However, and this is a big however, the production gains over the past several years have been accompanied by financial losses year after year. So for a full decade, the fracking sector, whether it's fracking for oil or fracking for natural gas, has been in aggregate cash flow negative for the companies producing natural gas and producing oil. So it's this incredible conundrum that these companies are very, very successful at producing natural gas. They're very successful at producing oil through fracking, but they are not successful at producing cash. So they have a business model that has never been proved. And that was true when gas was 50 or $60 a barrel, and when natural gas was much higher than it is now. Kathy, there's been a lot of special sorts of turmoil going on right now. There's the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. The prices of gas and oil have dropped. And then there's also the coronavirus happening. And these, I think, are the three main factors that are really affecting the fracking industry. How do you see it? Uh, We see it slightly differently because we're looking at longer term trends. And we feel it's important to say that the um, economic downturn uh, caused by the coronavirus pandemic and the oil price war caused by Saudi Arabia and Russia having a, a competition to produce a lot of oil and ship it around the world. Um, the difficulties faced by the fracking industry go back a decade. Mm. And it has been quarter after quarter of negative cash flows for these companies. So um, what has happened by the economic downturn and the sudden price war is it has accelerated a trend that was going on long before these recent events. So these recent events have intensified a long-term trend of financial distress. That uh, brings us to what are the prospects for fracking going forward? the whole industry and it's your thoughts on its effect in Pennsylvania particularly. Well, the interesting uh, part about Pennsylvania is it has become the second largest producer of natural gas in the country. And of course, this has been driven by the fracking revolution. 
So again, you've got a conundrum of a, a small group of companies that are producing a prodigious amount of natural gas, but they are failing financially. And when you have companies that are failing quarter after quarter and racking up a lot of debt, because it is not cheap to frack, one thing about using this technology is it requires ongoing infusions of capital. So right now, investors have lost so much money investing in these companies. Some of them are down um, 80 or 90% from their highs. And many of them have defaulted. We saw a doubling of the bankruptcies last year in 2019 over the prior year of 2018. So lenders have lost money, stock investors have lost money, and they have gradually turned their back on lending or investing any more into these companies. So the business model has never been proven for fracking. They've got a tremendous wall of debt coming due in the next two or three years. And many of the companies, the fracking companies in Pennsylvania are what we would call in extremis. Because if natural gas prices do not rise, they have no possibility of paying back their debt or even servicing the debt. And they are in very, very deep trouble. Well, that's interesting, particularly here in Pennsylvania, because we have a legislature and governor who keeps saying they want fracking to support Pennsylvania's budget. And from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like that's going to work. Well, fracking employs people, and we never want to see anyone lose their job, especially now. And that's got to be considered are the job-creating However, often industries tend to inflate the number or they tend to be overly optimistic about the number of jobs that are actually created by certain industries. And we find that that is certainly true throughout the oil and gas sector. So we want to be mindful that there are people working in this industry and many of them are being laid off now. And this goes back years that this is a failed business model with especially with prices this low. Um, one of the other things that the oil and gas companies are hoping for, and sometimes these are the very big companies, they're hoping that if they're not making money in exploring and producing for oil and natural gas, that they might make money in other parts of their business, such as the petrochemical business. So one thing you have in western Pennsylvania is the Ohio River Valley. And there is a hope that um, between liquefying the natural gas and then taking natural gas liquid and turning them into petrochemicals, that this can be a lifeline for the oil and gas industry as a whole. Okay, so I wanted to ask about transition plans to different products or different business models. And for instance, we've heard about a plastic plant that may be opening up in Beaver County to use some of this natural gas. Right, so um, Shell has been building a very large petrochemical complex in Beaver County. Currently, they have suspended construction due to the virus. 
Um, and this is both an ethane cracker, which is taking natural gas liquids and converting them into primarily two types of plastics. When Shell was considering this, and there's an, uh, another cracker plant that may be in the proposal state, plastic prices were much higher than they are now. So mm -hmm. oil prices have fallen dramatically and gas prices have fallen dramatically. I don't think the public is as aware of how plastic prices have also fallen dramatically. So we do not see that this is going to be a financially successful business. Um, many of the oil and gas producers around the world have said, well, we have too much oil and gas. What are we going to do? Let's all get into making plastics. Let's all get into liquefying the natural gas and doing LNG and shipping it to Asia because Asia will have a perpetual growing demand. And the problem is it's a very competitive market. Prices are going down and there's a global oversupply of oil even before the economic slowdown. Mm -hmm. There was a glut of oil and there was a glut of natural gas in the global markets. We have been told by many experts that the renewables were kind of a moonshot and not very reliable or likely to take up that much of the energy sector. But it's sounding now that maybe fracking and oil and gas may be less reliable. Well, what we've discovered over the past several years is that the energy sector, which is defined by oil and gas companies in the S&P 500, it now makes up less than 3% of the overall market as of the end of March. Now, back in the 1980s, the energy sector, again, oil and gas companies, accounted for 28% of the S&P 500. So you can imagine it has shrunk to literally a fraction from 28% to 2.8%. But meanwhile, the economy as a whole since the 1980s has been growing. So we see that the U.S. economy can grow, the world economy can grow, even as oil and gas companies become smaller, which has happened over this period. So economic growth, it no longer depends on the oil and gas sector being a growing sector. So in a sense, it is a mature industry. It is declining and uh, many have failed to predict how quickly renewables would begin to gain traction. And again, they currently represent a relatively small portion of the U.S. electricity grid, but it is growing fairly rapidly. And if you combine solar, wind, and hydro, it is likely to overtake coal in the U.S. electricity grid, and that will happen this year. This is something that was unthinkable several years ago the growth of wind and solar and hydro. And um, the idea was that wind and solar were intermittent and because it doesn't 
it's not always sunny and it's not always windy. Could we solve that problem? There are many very smart people that have worked on solving these problems. And this ingenuity from the engineers has been absolutely brilliant in being able to solve this. And the utility sector has started to get their minds around this very low cost. I mean, it's very hard to compete with free and wind and solar as fuel sources are free. And the utility sector will have to be looking at this saying, well, while natural gas prices are low, currently, when you make a decision that goes out 30 and 40 years in some cases, one thing you can count on is that wind and solar, your fuel sources will be free. And you don't know what the price of natural gas will be in 10 years or 20 years. It sounds like to me that a number of utilities may see wind and solar as better bets, not only because they're right now cheaper, but also because they can plan on them being there as opposed to boom and bust cycles of the oil and gas? I think that's exactly right. It's difficult to plan around the uncertainty. And it is difficult to manage your finances when there's such volatility there. So you might look forward and say, well, I'm going to look at a forecast on what oil prices might be or what natural gas prices might be. But the reality is those are only forecasts. So it is very difficult to manage your finances when there is such volatility. And volatility scares everyone, but it really scares people in finance, in my experience. Okay. Because they've got to make these long-term plans. Yeah, the Wall Street people are very scared of that. And I know some of them have started to really back off the energy sector for that reason. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. And that's why the energy sector has finished dead last in the S&P 500 over the past decade. This is not just a very recent development. It's very important to go back and look at long-term trends. And long-term trends show that the oil and gas sector has been dead last in 2019, dead last in 2018, and over the last decade from 2010 through the beginning of 2020, it was dead last. You know, the market looks forward. The financial market, they really don't look back and say, gosh, the oil and gas companies were so crucial to our economic development in the United States. They hired a lot of people. They allowed our factories to run. They heated our homes. They put lights on. That's not the way the market works. The market looks forward and says, where are the opportunities going forward? And for the last decade, they have not seen that in the oil and gas sectors. Given that that's the, the way Wall Street and financial people are thinking, what are your thoughts about how these companies' economy could change over in such a way that not too many jobs are lost and not too much of the whole economy goes down? You know, I think that's a terrific question. And what we would like to see is some kind of an, a managed decline. 
in Texas right now, there's a tremendous amount of discussion about limiting the amount of oil production. And about roughly a third of the oil that is produced in the Permian area is produced by independent producers. So unlike OPEC, which might have many countries participating, but many of the oil producers are state-owned enterprises, here we have private companies in the United States. And they have reached out to their governing regulatory body, which is the Texas Railway Commission, and said, could we put a cap on production? Because we're producing too much. We frackers in for oil are producing too much. Um, there have been some natural gas frackers in the Pennsylvania area that have suggested maybe a governing body there should also put a cap on production because in the past there have again been glots of natural gas. While many of these producers do like the idea of a free market, they recognize that they are producing too much natural gas and too much oil. So this is a way that I think environmentalists and the oil and gas companies are oddly enough in complete alignment, like maybe production should go down right now and we should figure out what to do with the employees who will lose their jobs and what we will do so it can be not a, a chaotic situation where in Pittsburgh, they have to deal with so many job losses in the Western Pennsylvania area, which has already been so depressed over the past couple of decades by the loss of steel jobs. So we don't need a second wave of job losses that are chaotic. So this would allow sort of an organized transition toward the future. Similarly in Texas, the idea would be a managed decline would be a reduction over a long period. This is not a short-term period, a short-term fix, a long period of a managed decline, which would limit production, put a cap on production, and plan an orderly transition that is not so dependent on oil and gas production. What else you think our listeners ought to know about? I would say to your listeners and to both of you that this is a very confusing time in the energy markets in the United States and globally. And we have many things that we're just talking about unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. So they're right to be confused. And uh, we're trying to make sense of it. The oil and gas sector have been financial underperformers for a decade. We do not see that changing. And there may be some slight pops in oil prices from the very lows recently. The same may happen with natural gas prices. But in general, the business model for fracking has never been proved for the past decade, and that is unlikely to change. If people wanted to get more information, would they go to the website for IEEFA, or how would they? Yes, they can go to IEEFA, IEFA.org, and they can find a tremendous number of short and long reports on 
the fracking industry in Pennsylvania. We call them Appalachian frackers, as well as frackers around the country, including the Permian Basin, and just a whole lot on the oil and gas sector and the transition to renewables as well. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of a segment that was aired on the Planet Philadelphia Environmental Radio Show. The show was aired on Germantown Community Radio at 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and live streamed at gtownradio.com. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. And thank you for listening.